This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Shritama from the AD program. And I'm Yuling from the MMARC program. Welcome back to GSAP Conversations. In this episode, we listen to a dialogue between multidisciplinary artist Alexandra Daisy Ginsberg and MMARC student Louis Furia. Alexandra Daisy Ginsberg has spent over 10 years researching synthetic biology and the design of living matter, pushing the boundaries of design and science. Her artworks, writing, and curatorial projects explore the human values that shape design, science, technology, and nature. Ginsberg shares with us her concept of better, which is oftentimes ambiguously used in synthetic biology to describe a vision of the future. She also expressed her concerns and her attitudes on the ethics and potential of synthetic biology experiments in designing and inventing new species. With her work, she projects an optimistic future, hoping to live an enjoyable and safe planet for the next generations. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Louisa Furia. I'm a third year MRC student here at GSAP. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Alexandra Daisy Ginsberg, who is a multidisciplinary artist exploring the human values that shape design, science, technology, and nature. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. So in 2017, you completed BETTER, your PhD thesis at the RCA. Um, can you explain the paradox of quote-unquote BETTER and how it's informed your work, uh, both in the world of synthetic biology and in design fictions? Well, I spent a lot of time with synthetic biologists who are kind of genetic engineer and with designers and architects and entrepreneurs and I realized that everyone was promising the same thing that they could make the world better and I suddenly realized that I had no idea what it meant and so I picked a terrible topic for a PhD because it was so enormous which was what is better and then I realized that the other very useful questions were well who's better is being delivered and then ultimately who gets to decide so that provided me with a framework that I spent all my time now asking, well, what, every time I hear the word better, what is, <laughs> what is actually meant by that? So, you know, pizza adverts or TV commercials are promising to make things better. And you start to think, well, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. So in my work, I was looking at it in a field of engineering and design, but it's um, good to ask these things everywhere. And do you think that people like scientists or engineers have a different idea of what better is versus designers and architects. Like, I'm wondering what a better future for an engineer is versus one well, for a designer. Or is well, it I think same? it's, I mean, that's the, I mean, I could ask you, what, what is your better <laughs> future? I don't know what better, because better changes yeah. every minute of the day, the different decisions that I make. So I make work about extinction, and then I go off and buy a plastic bottle of water because I'm thirsty. Right. And both of those things simultaneously are better for me. Um, in that moment one is a longer term idea of what a better future is and that's the problem is that all these different values of better actually coexist and it makes things quite difficult so I'm interested in how we interrogate what is better so Mm -hmm. for the engineer who's saying well this you know this new genetically engineered microbe is going to deliver a better world well how and what does it actually do and who's going to benefit from it and who's going to be excluded from that better future Yeah, I wonder why, I mean, we think about science so much as like separated usually from culture. It's like this linear process. And yet we know that, you know, we have to be 
questioning and looking at the cultural implications of these, you know, technical applications. And I'm wondering, like, why they're always dealt with separately and by different people and how we can change that. How do you think we can change that? And like, what then is the role of design within synthetic biology in you know, questioning those, that combination of things? Those are some big questions, but they're the really important ones. So, you know, I don't come from a science background. I studied architecture to begin with, and I ended up working with synthetic biologists because I was so fascinated that they were talking about design. So they, you know, this group of engineers at MIT who'd come into biology and were saying that they could design it better mm-hmm. and they could make it more efficient and, and sort of useful and, and make things for humans that are better so I to use this word a hundred times, but <laughs> yeah. this is the problem with it. And then you sort of realize that as you learn more about how science is constructed as an outsider or also as an insider to science, you realize that a lot of it, especially around cutting edge science, so that's where my experience has been, mm-hmm. is about vision making. So people are saying like, I want this, you know, I believe we can do this. And it's about getting people along and on board with your vision and then finding mechanisms to make that a reality. And what I discovered in, in synthetic biology is that you have sort of society as seen as a separate entity, as this, the synthetic biologists who've got to persuade society that this is a technology worth accepting. So after the failures of genetic engineering, especially in Europe, to get public acceptance, there's a real nervousness about you know, really, really being able to engineer living matter. And the public might not accept that this is better for them. But I would argue that science and society are the same thing. Right. Science is part of society. And as society, we get to shape the science that mm-hmm. we want. So we choose what we fund through mechanisms of, of right. some government funding, for example. So, you know, how do we interact more as non-scientists with science? And that's what I'm really fascinated by so as architects or designers or artists or citizens and scientists and citizens too we are all in it together and we need to be asking these questions together yeah I I wonder how because like you said like the vision is so kind of important in how the culture sort of like accepts the technology and it seems like with synthetic biology the way that it's communicated is so important because we do live in this like super antibacterial world and yet synthetic biology kind of proposes or a lot of it proposes that bacteria is the future of our world but then i would question some of that as well so a lot of the vision is around you know, there's different kinds of strands within it we see right. it as a lump and it's not really one yeah. thing so you could say synthetic biology includes engineering yeast to make jet fuel Mm -hmm. which has not proved successful on a large scale but that's one idea or you on the other end of the spectrum you have living probiotics so engineered bacteria that could live in our guts and actually deliver medicine or therapies those are very different things one lives in a vat in a secure facility (laughs) and the other one is something that we don't necessarily know how to control we can try to control a design and but those questions are very different so with all these things it's about unpacking them and and then you know where does our tolerance for risk lie and what are the the right decisions and some of these questions may not have an answer so I've been really fascinated by proposals to engineer coral so scientists some scientists are saying well maybe we could engineer coral so it could withstand warmer waters and that's one way to combat the mass extinction of coral as oceans get warmer but how would we know if that's a good idea and once we do it how do we know if it's working or if it's gone wrong 
it may be very evident and who gets to make those decisions Mm -hmm. so the the spectrum like we need to unpack all of it so you could say well engineered corn do I like that do I not like that but engineered probiotics would I put something that may not be able to be subject to control in the same ways inside my body right those are the questions we need to really debate yeah and well and when do you know when to like try to penetrate the cultural barrier rather than the technical one that maybe has already been you know well what I have enjoyed so much about somehow sort of breaking into synthetic biology as an outsider was having the opportunity to ask these questions mm-hmm. as a technology is being developed and in a way before I knew much about science you know I studied science at school and it was always this other thing and then I realized that actually I have access to it and I can ask these questions and it's really important that we are having these you know these conversations with scientists directly in the labs and actually asking these kinds of questions straight out as things develop because mm-hmm. otherwise you end up with technologies being developed and then they're put to society do you like this or not and it's already in a way too late right the horse is bolted do you have any concerns about synthetic biology i mean with any technology it's shaped by people and politics and economics so where's the potential for your personal concern (laughs) yes I would say as with any technology and maybe some of those concerns are different because the material is different we're designing with the same stuff that we're made of but it's maybe not necessary I don't want to pinpoint particular technologies within synthetic biology I'm concerned with it's more thinking about how do we design like where do we design? What are we, what are we uncomfortable with? Do we want to design humans? Do we design the next generation of humans? Is that ethical or moral? And that's where I, where I find it more difficult to accept. Right. And I don't think that we understand enough. And again, I'm not a scientist, but I would say this as a human, um, that we don't understand enough. And also, more importantly, I don't know if we have the right to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. But then when you start to drill down, you could say, well, I could eliminate this disease from a potential child. Would I want to eliminate that disease? And it starts to get much more fine-grained, the decision-making. Yeah. And especially once you are dealing with, I mean, bodies that we designers are not necessarily used to dealing with, like big biotech corporations or big you know, funding bodies. I'm wondering how you, because I think that, you know, you've kind of done this in a really nice way where you've remained really critical of things, but still, you know, are able to engage with these kind of groups. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit, if there is a trade-off, you know, between that kind of criticality and complicity moving back and forth between those bodies. That's a really good question. I think that is part of the challenge. So to get access how do you work critically and say what you believe? And that's what I try and do. But at the same time, it's always more nuanced. So, for example, the project I'm working on, Resurrecting the Sublime, is a partnership, a collaboration with the artist and smell researcher Cecil Tolas and with the biotech company Ginkgo Bioworks. And for me, it was the first time we'd actually made a project using or I'd made a project that involved synthetic biology. Yeah. I'd always made projects it's that... It's such a brilliant project. <laughs> <laughs> so we brought back the smell of extinct flowers in this project or a pictures, a sketch of what those flowers may have smelled like by extracting DNA from pressed specimens at the Harvard Herbarium. But it is a, you know, this involves synthetic biology. But for me, what was so fascinating about this opportunity was to be able to use biotechnology to talk about loss rather than about 
like solving problems Mm -hmm. and it was for for me it was like a step in a new direction for my work where I was able to use the technology but to actually present it in a critical way by saying what do we make with this stuff and are there other ways to think about what it could be used for and at the same time it's incredible science and that's also terrifying that we can do this and it's terrifying that we can do this on something that we've already extinguished so flowers that were lost to colonial activity over a century or two mm-hmm. centuries ago can we can get a glimpse of them through this kind of technological process but where does that leave us as humans and right. what kinds of questions should we be asking of ourselves and so for me that's why the project is so exciting to actually go through the process of working with the technology yeah. but it does leave me in a difficult uh, position which is also for me quite fascinating that there's this you know I am complicit in it and I'm implicated in the advancement of the technology. Right. And I have the same, so I'm working on a project at the moment using machine learning and deep fakes, and we've advanced the technology of deep fakes to make a project that reflects on deep fakes. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the, your product, The Substitute, as well, and that question of why we're so much more comfortable in just creating new biology than actually like dealing with our own or the ones that we've already you know, destroyed, like we can't just continue to substitute, you know, new things for the old things, because then we kind of just end up playing into the same systems, the same, you know, dynamics as before. Do you think that there can really be like a complete paradigm shift through large scale design of living machines? Like what, you know, what's required to do that basically, so that we don't just use synthetic biology as a replacement for things that got us into the problems that we're facing now I think humans are humans (laughs) and I think that while we are hopeful animals so I like to use this expression to describe myself to remind myself of the the ridiculousness of it all we are animals and our nature is to do these strange things like invent new things and neglect what already exists so I am not hopeful that we will change our behaviours, but I like bringing attention to them because maybe we change a few of them on the way. Yeah. And with the project, The Substitute, that you mentioned, where we've, in a way, reanimated a northern white rhino, so made an archival, full life, a full-life-size archival copy of a northern white rhino, which is the subspecies that went extinct last year, essentially when the last male died, so there's two females left. And so as, as you enter the gallery, you're faced with this life-size rhino that's stomping about. And the question is, well, as scientists are trying to bring back this subspecies using IVF and you know, taking eggs from the last two females, which is a highly risky process, and trying to gestate a new rhino and a southern white rhino, so well, why would we look after those technologically right. resurrected ones more than the ones that already existed. And that, to me, is... So the whole project is really asking mm-hmm. that question, but it's asking it in a three-and-a-half-metre-wide, <laughs> stomping, rhino-sized way. How do we bring attention to this kind of behaviour? And mm-hmm. really, how... Because we've already failed to not kill the rhinos that existed. So how do we... What other methods are there? And I'm not very hopeful that we will ever change our behaviours. <laughs> but it's worth trying, and that's what I, like. that's what I do. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, nature with a capital N, right? Because, you know, human progress kind of has been this story of emancipating ourselves from nature. And synthetic biology is this 
interesting spot where it's kind of a way back into nature, but it's still maybe furthering the divide from nature. I'm wondering what you think it means to design nature, and if it's designed, is it still nature? Does it matter if it is nature or not, you know? Unfortunately, you're asking me all the questions I normally ask other people. (laughs) So what does it mean to design nature is a question I've asked a lot. And, I mean, we are part of nature. And as you say, the emancipation or this imagined emancipation of humans from nature is, to me, part of the problem. So Mm -hmm. as soon as you get the idea of progress in play, it's about using science and technology and knowledge to uplift us out of the kind of soup that we came from. And the soup is actually where we need to be in some ways. So I can say that. But that's a difficult thing to say because that also comes with um, a lot of risk. And I say that from a place of privilege. So I don't really fully mean it. I'm very grateful for a home and medication and access to healthcare and these sorts of things. So the question is, what what other relationships do we need to re, sort of um, what links that are broken? And to sort of paraphrase from Paolo Antonelli's show, Broken Nature, mm-hmm. like where do we usefully reconnect ourselves back? What do we need to change? And synthetic biology, although the focus of my work has sort of shifted away from it somewhat, the questions are still the same. Like why do we design living things? Why do we engineer new life forms and sort of further emancipate ourselves? You know, the solutions mm-hmm. are quite simple in some ways, it's a, but it requires letting go of a lot of stuff that we enjoy and benefit from so again you know we could all stop flying I've flown to be here and I feel very guilty about (laughs) it and it's a real problem so maybe that's one thing that we do less and and then there's lots of those different things that we will have to do we could but a lot of it is on a very short time frame my final question is do you think the future will be better than today (laughs) What is better? <laughs> I mean, it depends what your measures are. So, What are your measures? My measures are creating a planet or leaving a planet that is as livable and enjoyable as the one that I've been fortunate to enjoy. And I, again, can say that because I have a place of privilege to exist here. So it's easier for me to think about future generations because I have safety mm-hmm. in the present. So, you know, the question is, will the next generation, the one after get to enjoy the safety that we have and for me that's a better future is one where there's less impact on the planet from me and from others but will we get there and is that better for everyone it's definitely better for the (laughs) non-humans daisy thank you so much for speaking with me i really look forward to your lecture thank you it's great to be here (laughs) This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.